The following message was given at Trinity Bible Church in Powell, Wyoming. Okay, Proverbs 15, verses 19 to the end of the chapter. Let's now give our attention to God speaking to us in His Word. The way of a sluggard is like a hedge of thorns, but the path of the upright is a level highway. A wise son makes a glad father, but a foolish man despises his mother. Folly is a joy to him who lacks sense, but a man of understanding walks straight ahead. Without counsel, plans fail, but with many advisors, they succeed. To make an apt answer is a joy to a man, and a word in season, how good it is. The path of life leads upward for the prudent, that he may turn away from Sheol beneath. The Lord tears down the house of the proud, but maintains the widow's boundaries. The thoughts of the wicked are an abomination to the Lord, but gracious words are pure. Whoever is greedy for unjust gain troubles his own household, but he who hates bribes will live. The heart of the righteous ponders how to answer, but the mouth of the wicked pours out evil things. The Lord is far from the wicked, but he hears the prayer of the righteous. The light of the eyes rejoices the heart, and good news refreshes the bones. The ear that listens to life-given reproof will dwell among the wise. Whoever ignores instruction despises himself, but he who listens to reproof gains intelligence. The fear of the Lord is instruction and wisdom, and humility comes before honor. And this concludes the reading of God's holy and inspired word. May God now be with us to bless his word to us. Well, there's a famous television show, and I might be dating myself uh, by talking about this, but it was from the 80s and 90s called The Lifestyle of the Rich and Famous. You may have heard of that. It was intriguing because it was a lifestyle that many coveted, and they wanted to get a taste of it, even if it was through a television set. Well, the book of Proverbs is presenting to us a lifestyle as well that it wants us to be intrigued by, that it wants us to get a glimpse at. And it's the lifestyle of the wise and righteous. It is putting forward in a positive life, a light a lifestyle that should attract us. Conversely, it shows the downfall, the opposite, the lifestyle of the fool. And that's really what Proverbs has been about, and we see that in this passage as well. But I think it's important to again remember the three uses of the law as we go through Proverbs, particularly the first use and the third use, since we are halfway through the book of Proverbs now. Remember, the first use of the law is to show us the greatness of our sin and misery. So as we look at this and we see this is what a wise person looks like, this is what a fool looks like, we see a resemblance of ourselves as, a, as fools. And we're convicted. And it shows us our sin. But this doesn't lead immediately to say, okay, now change. Rather, this should point us to Christ and desire Him 
to trust in Him for His perfect righteousness, resting on Him and His righteousness as our standing before God, and then relying upon Him in union with Him in order to then fulfill what's called the third use of the law, which is the law being a guide for us in holy living. And so as we read Proverbs, we also see this is how we ought to live, but only from our union with Christ. Not for life with God, but from the life that we have by virtue of trusting in Christ. And so today we're going to look at three aspects of the lifestyle of of the wise and righteous. And they are joy, then end, and beginning. Oh, that's a pathetic outline, but we'll go with it. So first, a joy, and we begin with one whose path is not joy, but drudgery. Verse 19, the way of a sluggard is like a hedge of thorns, but the path of the upright is like a level highway. So the way, which is the manner of life of the sluggard, the lazy one, is like a hedge of thorns. Now there are a couple of times I found myself walking through uh, thorn bushes uh, out in the the mountains, and you don't go through that fast. You don't go through that quickly. Uh, It's slow. It's painful. Well, this describes the life of the sluggard. Everything he does is slow. And work is painful for him. It takes time for him to get things done or to fulfill his responsibilities. And it's painful for him to do work. But for an upright person, a person with integrity, righteousness, and faithfulness, his manner of life is like a level highway. Now back then, they obviously didn't have these concrete highways, but they had a lot of really rocky ground. And they had to level this out. They had to level out kind of a smooth path, remove rocks, and uh, there were dirt paths, obviously. That's what this is talking about here, and it's traveling through would be quick. It would be easy. And this is the way it is like for the wise and righteous. It is as if they're traveling down a smoothly paved road in getting things done and getting things accomplished. Then verse 20. A wise son makes a glad father, but a foolish man despises his mother. So here we see that wisdom can be measured by how you bless others, particularly whom God has given as authority in your life. Uh, Parents have no greater joy than to see their children uh, walking uh, in the truth, It's one of the greatest heartaches in life to see children wander away from uh, the truth. And this is what a foolish person does. He gives his parents grief by walking in foolishness. And there are obviously some parents that are difficult to love. Uh, Some parents have created grief even before their children, yet it's still foolish to despise them. It's still foolish to to not honor them. And our mothers carried us in their room for nine uncomfortable, painful months, uh, taking care of their own bodies in order to take care of us. Uh, They went through the great pain of giving us birth. At least they did this. 
for us. They spent sleepless nights taking care of us, nurturing us, comforting us. They spent years developing us, providing for us, often fretting over our welfare. And if they were Christian parents, they prayed often uh, for us. So how foolish would it be to turn around and despise uh, our parents? While the fool does not give his own parents joy, he has a peculiar joy of his own. Verse 21. Folly is a joy to him who lacks sense, but a man of understanding walks straight ahead. So the one who lacks sense, that is the one who lacks wisdom, has joy. But he finds his joy in sin. Sin is the delight of his heart. He just wishes his conscience wouldn't bother him. He he wishes that consequences didn't get in the way. That he can just do what he wants and that people wouldn't judge him for his actions. Otherwise, he would dive head on into sin. The only reason he keeps from fully indulging in it and expressing his sin is because of these outward factors, but not because he has a heart of wisdom to turn from sin. A sin is his, is his meditation, as the Puritan John Owen said. He has fellowship with his lusts. This is because he lacks sense. That is wisdom. So the lesson here is that if we want to turn away from sin, we must have wisdom. Now, the fool who lacks wisdom, his thoughts are an abomination to the Lord. Jumping down to verse 26. The thoughts of the wicked are an abomination to the Lord, but gracious words are pure. You know, it's one of the most terrifying things is that God knows our thoughts. And sometimes people will say that as if that's good news. Well, God God knows my heart. Well, that's bad news for sinners. And man will not only be judged for his outward actions and words, but also his thoughts. Our thoughts are to be in obedience to the Lord. And this is why, by the way, as a side note, Remember the first use of the law that points us to our need for Christ. Why we need the righteousness of Christ credited to us. Because if it's true, which it is, that God is going to judge a man for his thoughts, what good news is it then that we have Christ's righteousness credited to us whose thoughts were always pure and that he was judged on the cross for all our evil thoughts? So that we stand before God forgiven of even our evil thoughts. But our thoughts are to be in obedience to the Lord. The inner secret musings of the wicked are an abomination to the Lord. But the words, the expressions of the inner thoughts that are gracious because this person has understood the grace of God are pure. That is, they're acceptable to the Lord. And part of the abomination or abominable thoughts and sin that the wicked take joy in is for unjust gain. Verse 27, whoever is greedy for unjust gain troubles his own household, but he who hates bribes will live. So greed is this evil desire for more than what God has given us in his providence and by his lawful means. It's a heart that's never satisfied or thankful for what God has given and what he has done, but idolizes this world 
out of self-righteousness, thinks that I deserve more. Because of that, uh, he will go through unjust or unlawful sinful means to obtain more. He'll use stealing, deceit, manipulation, taking advantage of others. He only cares about following the law because of consequences rather than honoring God. And he hates to think that he has to give up any of his idols. The contrast, though, is the one who hates a bribe. Not not just getting paid off to do evil, but he, he hates any unjust way of obtaining money. He hates it in his heart, not merely because of the consequences, but because it's displeasing to God. Again, another reminder of why we need Christ and His righteousness credited to us, and then from union with Him, living this out. Now, as opposed to the joy of the wicked, which is for sin, the joy of the wise is to bless and benefit others. Verse 23, I know we're kind of jumping around. Verse 23. To make an apt answer is a joy to a man, and a word in season, how good it is. This is literally an answer in time. Uh, what this means is that the answer is not only good, but timely. And that's a wisdom that's a great wisdom, not only to be able to give good counsel that benefits others, but to do so in a timely manner, at just the right moment. It is what Ecclesiastes 8.5 says, the wise heart will know the proper time and the just way. Kind of like wit except uh, in counsel and benefiting others. Spurgeon was really good at this. He he was masterful at this. Uh, After Spurgeon's baptism, his mother said, Charles, I often prayed the Lord to make you a Christian, but I never asked that you might become a Baptist. And he replied, Ah, mother, the Lord has answered your prayer with his usual bounty and given you exceedingly abundantly beyond what you asked or thought. That was that was witty. Now, this doesn't mean that everything the wise person says, he does so off the cuff without consideration. See verse 28. The heart of the righteous ponders how to answer, but the mouth of the wicked pours out evil things. So the Proverbs will often do this. It'll give us two sides here. Say, an answer, an apt answer is good, but then it says here that the heart of the righteous ponders how to answer. The, the, the wise and righteous will give thought to what he says before he says it. They will consider what is right, true, and most beneficial for the moment, giving grace to his hearers. They will consider how to say it, and to whom they are saying it with understanding of who that person is. The wicked, however, just blurts out whatever they feel like without regard for the other person, without consideration. Their speech is about themselves, talking about themselves, going on about themselves, really unsympathetic to the other person. And joy is not merely in giving an answer, but also receiving an answer. Look at verse 30. 
The light of the eyes rejoices the heart, and good news refreshes the bones. So the light of the eyes refers to something that the eye sees that's desirable, kind of like the apple, my eye, or kind of like saying my wife is the light of my life, something that lights up my life. So seeing something before you in your possession that lights up your life, something very desirable, is a joy to the heart. It rejoices the heart. And receiving some good news refreshes the bones, literally fattens the bones. Uh, This is just common knowledge or common experience and acknowledges where joy comes from. That God does give to us creatures good gifts in his creation. On the one hand, we don't idolize these things, but neither on the other hand do we practice asceticism where we can't enjoy anything. No, we recognize all good things come from God. But ultimately, the good news that refreshes the bones is the good news that all our sins have been forgiven and we bear them no more. This is what refreshes the bones. And this is why we need to hear this every Lord's Day. Because our conscience and our fallen flesh and the devil constantly are feeding us bad news. We are prone towards a legalistic heart that says, you haven't done enough. You have failed to measure up. And then I heard this just this week. This inner lawyer comes in and tries to justify ourselves. Well, maybe you have. Well, at least you weren't as bad as that person. Oh, you're not that bad. Don't worry about it. Oh, you're having a bad day. But rather than than needing uh, to justify ourselves in order to cancel out this bad news that we hear from the law, from our conscience, from even our flesh, we need the good news outside of us. We need the good news that's objectively true, that Jesus has died for our sins, that He has paid for them in full. Oh, how often do we forget this? And That He was raised for our justification, that He is seated now at the right hand of the Father, and we are seated with Him. And that He, he always lives to make intercession for us. And that when we fall into sin, we have an advocate with the Father. Jesus Christ, the righteous one. This is the good news that refreshes the bones. And oftentimes when we're feeling weary and we're feeling heavy and laden, it's because we're forgetting this good news. And when we hear it again, when we hear forgiveness, when we hear that God has accepted us freely in the Beloved, that is when we are refreshed. There's no other news that will do this. If there's good news in creation that can do this, certainly it's the good news of the gospel that far surpasses this. A second aspect of the lifestyle of the wise and righteous pertains to their end. Verse 24, the path of life leads upward for the prudent that he may turn away from Sheol beneath. So those who have wisdom have wisdom through union with Christ by being united to him. Uh, through faith. And this is evident by how they live and what path they're on. And the path they're on leads upward. That it's, it leads to heaven. 
rather than downward towards Sheol, the underworld, hell. But for the wicked, their end is destruction. Verse 25, the Lord tears down the house of the proud, but maintains the widow's boundaries. The wicked whose heart finds joy in folly and greed and unjust gain, who are proud, who boast in themselves, who lift themselves up, who disregard God's law to be a law unto themselves, their house will be destroyed. If not in this life, certainly in the life to come. Whereas the widow, uh, the most helpless and afflicted, the poor whom the greedy and proud take advantage of, will have her boundary, her lot, her property maintained by the Lord. And what this tells us is that the Lord is opposed to the proud, but is with the lowly. And the Lord is not with the wicked. Verse 29, the Lord is far from the wicked, but he hears the prayer of the righteous. Now, this does not mean that God is not omnipresent, that is everywhere present. A God cannot be confined by time or space like a creature, because he's not a creature. He's infinite spirit. He is everywhere present. However, this is referring to God not being with the wicked with his favor and special presence. That's only for his people. God is not with the wicked to help them, to comfort them, to hear them, to deliver them. From the wicked's perspective, God is far removed from them, as if he's in a distant country. But the Lord hears the prayer of the righteous. That is, those who are righteous only through faith in Christ. He hears their weeping. He sees their sorrow. He delivers them. He comforts them. He provides for them by His grace and His presence, even though He may seem far off. Now, how does someone become wise? Well, this brings us to the third aspect of the lifestyle of the wise and righteous. We've seen their joy. We've seen their end. Now, their third, their beginning, how they receive wisdom. Verse 22, without counsel, plans fail, but with many advisors, they succeed. And we've seen this time and time again in the book of Proverbs, that wisdom is to receive counsel. Wisdom is to humbly recognize that you don't have all the wisdom. And so to seek the advice, counsel, and input from others who are godly, who are wise, of themselves is wisdom. And this is a general principle, guarantee success versus plans failing for lack of counsel. Then verses 31 through 32, the heir that listens to life-giving reproof will dwell among the wise. Whoever ignores instruction despises himself, but he who listens to reproof gains intelligence. So this is how you become wise. You dwell with the wise, not with the what, not with fools, but with the wise. You first heed reproof from those whose reproof is life-giving. That is, it's wise. It's in accordance with God's word. To ignore it is to despise yourself, to, to hate yourself. Not to say that you say, because I hate myself, I'm not going to listen to anybody. But rather, it's 
to do something so harmful that it's as if an enemy had done it. It's as if you hate yourself to ignore heeding correction and instruction from the godly and from the wise. What causes someone to listen to reproof? Well, verse 33, the fear of the Lord is instruction and wisdom, and humility comes before honor. So the difference between somebody listening to godly reproof and rejecting it is whether or not they fear the Lord. What makes someone wise so that they do receive instruction is that they fear the Lord. And remember, the fear of the Lord is not being afraid of God's judgment and condemnation so that you withdraw from him. That's actually unbelief because why would you be afraid of condemnation if Christ took all your condemnation for you? If you that's what it means to believe the gospel. It's to believe that Christ took all your condemnation, therefore there's no condemnation for you. Not because of anything you've done, but because of God's free mercy and love. If Christ's work is sufficient, then there's no condemnation for you. The fear of the Lord is to stand in awe of Him. It is to, to see God as big, to put it in simple terms. It's to know Him truly. It's to see the glory of God in the face of Christ. It's to see that God is a God merciful and compassionate, slow to anger, and abounding in loving kindness and faithfulness, who pardons sin, but does so without compromising his own justice. So I keep bringing this up. Psalm 147.11 says that to fear the Lord is to hope in his steadfast love. It's a place my confidence and hope in his love for me. Not because I've merited or earned it, but because of who He is. In Psalm 130, verse 4, With you there is forgiveness, that you may be feared. It's in light of God's forgiveness. It's in light of God's love. That is what it means to fear the Lord, is to see these things and stand in awe of Him so that He controls your life. The love of Christ compels us. And this is what produces humility, which precedes honor. Humility is not thinking highly of yourself because your quote-unquote greatness is eclipsed by the greatness of another. It is to be so consumed in your spirit with Him that your boast is truly in the Lord. And you forget about yourself practically. Who are you in, compar in comparison to the Lord? This is what produces humility that accompanies receiving instruction because you know that you are not that great and you need help and counsel. And this is what precedes honor. It is pride that goes before fall, but humility that comes before honor. This is, after all, the path that our Lord took. As Paul says in Philippians 2, that Jesus being found in human form humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Therefore God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. And so brothers and sisters, may we humble ourselves before our mighty Lord, 
standing in awe of Him as we behold His glory in the Gospel. This is the beginning of wisdom, which humbly receives instruction, whose end is life, and whose path is one of joy and gladness. Amen. Let's pray. Our Father in heaven, we ask that you would show us the the light of the gospel, that we would stand so in awe of Christ that we would forget ourselves, that we would be humble as we behold His greatness, and that we would make our boasts in the Lord. May we receive correction and instruction from uh, the wise and godly. May we walk in Your ways, O God, knowing that uh, the end of those ways leads it is the path way to heaven. We thank you that Christ has taken the path for us and perfectly and has brought us into your presence where there is joy forevermore. And may this be the good news that always refreshes our bones. We ask this in Christ's name. Amen. You have been listening to a message from Trinity Bible Church in Powell, Wyoming. To receive more information about Trinity Bible Church or to support the ministry, go to tbcwyoming.com. That is tbcwyoming.com.